Good afternoon, patriots. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about the hypocrisy of critical race theory, as well as approaching your elected representatives with tangible plans of action. Next, on Living with Liberty. Critical race theory is perhaps the most destructive tool the left is using today to co-opt society and our institutions. It's infiltrated our corporations, it's infiltrated our governmental institutions, and possibly the worst place it's infiltrated is our education system, from elementary school all the way up through college. A number of us were not even aware that such a thing existed or was even being taught to our children, let alone being propagated through our corporations and institutions as training. Then, as schools went online, parents' eyes became open to how our children were being taught to hate themselves over something that is only within the control of our Creator. Smartly, parents everywhere started questioning it, challenging teachers, administrators, and school boards over this divisive and hypocritical theory. Now, we are told to shut up, bigot, every time we question it. However, that's not stopping us. As we have been bombarded with unfounded name-calling and labeling for the past four years, the left's slanderous words are now falling on deaf ears. People are standing up to the bullies. They are not backing down because they were called a name, because someone called them a bigot or a racist. People are standing up. Lawmakers around the country are standing up to this as well and trying to stem the tide of this divisive and destructive rhetoric within schools, within government, within our societal institutions. Now, I think by now we have all heard the basics of critical race theory. Well, most of my listeners have anyway. There's, uh, I'm sure, a number of folks out there still who had no idea what it is, but I'm sure most of you do. To recap, it's a theory that is based on oppressors and the oppressed, and that certain races are inherently better than others because of this that certain races are the oppressors and there are certain races that are the oppressed. And the ones that are the oppressed are the better races. It teaches that the oppressors must hate themselves and bow to the oppressed. It teaches that America is systemically racist. Now, there is one problem that needs to be addressed here, and, and, that, and it's in the way that this narrative is fueled. The propagandists peddling it have to go back to the dark days of slavery in order to find true oppressors and oppressed. And, you know, admittedly, these days it seems the only systemic racism that exists in this country is that of the Ivy League colleges, uh, college admissions offices. In essence, to try and validate this theory, to try and prove their prophecy is correct that today's America is full of oppressors and oppressed and racists, and that it is still, to this day, a place of systemic racism, they have to reach back to something that no one alive today 
has had anything to do with. And they use that to divide and deceive. The only problem for them is, besides the fact that Americans are neither oppressors nor oppressed, and that systemic racism was dismantled with the Civil Rights Act and several constitutional amendments, is that this theory is fraught with hypocrisy and lies. Now, big surprise, I know. I can hear the eye rolls from here. But I'm going to unpack a definition of systemic racism for you. And the goal here is to show you the latent hypocrisy of those peddling it. Now, what I have is uh, Britannica Online's definition of critical race theory. And it reads as follows. Critical race theory is based on the premise that race is not a natural, biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed or culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Critical race theorists hold that the law and legal institutions in the United States are inherently racist insofar as they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, especially African Americans. Right off the bat, this theory peddled by the people of science ignores the science. We all are born with genes that determine the melanin content of our skin. That, that's science. It's not made up. It's not a social construct. I have biological features that make me a white male. No amount of making whatever up in society based on how I identify that day is going to change that fact. So race isn't a social construct. It's not culturally made up. It's a scientific fact. It is what it is. We are all people of color. The last time I checked, none of us were translucent. I can't look at somebody and see what's behind them. They have some sort of color to them, right? None of us have an absence of color. Last I checked, white was in the Crayola box along with black and brown. So white is a color. In that vein, in that construct, critical race theory aims simply to oppress a different people of color at that point then. That first hypocritical point there, it says that, uh, you know, it, it, there's the, the whites wanting to oppress people of color. Well, critical race theory is flipping that. We're just, it just wants to oppress a different people of color. White is a color. Second, we have the whole law and legal institutions aspect here uh, of being inherently racist and in that their sole function is to maintain inequalities amongst the races. Well, never mind that there are laws and constitutional amendments that forbid that sort of thing. We have the Civil Rights Act, affirmative action, and let's not forget the 13th Amendment to the Constitution that abolished slavery, a literal outlawing of oppression. The 14th Amendment which enshrined citizens' rights, made the slaves, uh, you know, full citizens, none, none this three-fifths garbage. And then the 15th Amendment, which abolished the practice of preventing someone from voting based on their race. 
The counter-argument to this half-baked liberal guilt-soothing theory sits right there in our statutes and constitutionally protected rights. It's all right there in plain sight. Everything we need to prove that systemic racism, as it relates to America and its laws, does not exist. The Britannica article also lists the six tenets of critical race theory. Now, these are real beauties and absolute nonsense as well. Reading them causes one to uh, wonder how anyone in their right mind could fall for this absolutely repugnant ideology. Now, the first tenet, race is socially constructed, not biologically natural. We kind of covered this one before. And what is this saying? It's saying all I have to do is change the social construct of my race. It doesn't actually have to match my appearance in that instance, right? I, I Race is, is a, a culturally made up uh, thing here. I can identify however I want. That's what this is saying. Race is a social identity. It's implying that it's something you can... Like a chameleon, you can shift it any way you want. Like the left tends to do with their 10,000 genders. I can change my race at will. Just whatever, uh, you know, whatever suits me for that day. Well, hell, Kamala Harris does it. She's the first Indian American in the Senate. Now she's the first African American vice president. Which is it? Racism. In that case, I, I can change mine, right? That We have the model. Just change whatever you want. Change it to whatever you want. I just have to get society to believe that I am what I say I am, regardless of appearance in that, in that sense then, right? If I, can, if I tell people the sky is green enough times with enough conviction, they'll believe it. If I tell someone that I'm you know, not, not white anymore and whatever, and I do it with enough conviction, eventually they're going to believe me. That's what this is saying, that I can make it up as I go along. It sounds incredibly stupid when you say it out loud. Second, racism in the United States is normal, not aberrational. Now, how many racists do you encounter day to day? Yeah, not counting the media and Democrat race baiters out there that are seemingly pumping this narrative at every turn and for every last day drop of blood that it's worth. I'm going to say, if you're like me, you don't know many, if any, and if you do, you have thoroughly distanced yourself from them. Racism isn't a normal thing in this country. We fought a war amongst ourselves against it. We put laws and amendments to our constitution in place to outlaw any discrimination from taking place. Are there racist people in this country? Yes, sadly there are. And I think anybody that's honest with themselves admits that. But racism does not manifest itself in any way, shape, or form amongst most honest, liberty-loving Americans as a normal modus operandi. Our elected officials and the mediocres in the media, they're a different story, however. The third tenant. Legal advances or setbacks for people of color tend to serve the interests of the dominant white groups. What does this even mean? 
the adherents to critical race theory think that there is some puppet master out there pulling the strings. They think that the deck is stacked against people of color. Now, if that's the case, explain to me why Americans of Asian descent or even Asian immigrants are among the most successful groups of people around. By definition, they qualify as people of color, right? Basically anything, anyone not coming from Europe is a, is a people of color. Now, the other piece here, why do African immigrants who come to America, Nigerians, whoever, right? Why do those African immigrants who come to America and, bec- and they become doctors and lawyers and they prosper in America? While Americans of African descent continue to live in poverty. If you ask me, it has nothing to do with the laws that the white overlords have put in place to enshrine their power forever. It has nothing to do with that, and it has everything to do with the mindset of these people and the breakdown of the family structure. That is where the problem lies. These other groups of people who come here, these people of color, they do not have the, the victim mindset. No, and, you know, to be fair, some of them come from places where there is true oppression and nobody would blame them if they had a victimhood mentality because they have been trampled on, they have been oppressed. They come with the mindset of, I'm here, I'm going to succeed, I'm going to work hard. And they have the support structure. They have the family unit intact. That they are in control of their own destiny and they realize there isn't a law or system in place that is going to keep them down. They don't wait for permission. They don't wait for someone to tell them they can go and do something. They just go and do it. They take advantage of the equal opportunity they have to make their life here in America whatever they want it to be. And they have Uh, They take advantage of the opportunity to do it in any way they want to do it. Okay, so the fourth tenant here. Members of minority groups periodically undergo differential racialization or the attribution to them of varying sets of negative stereotypes, again, depending on the needs or interests of whites. Well, let's make this a little more accurate. They undergo this based on the needs or interests of the Democrat Party. The non-white groups of this country, time and time again, allow themselves to be suckered by the Democrat Party for political gain. And I'd say the white groups do as well. Uh, Your Democrats out there do as well. I think this time's going to be different, and it's not. And same can be said for Republican Party, too. Both political parties. We have a uniparty for the most part, um, both parties and their marketing departments are suckering everybody into voting for them, but that's neither neither here nor there, I guess. But, you know, you have, uh, especially, I guess, in the context of this critical race theory, the non-white groups of this country, time and time again, are allowing themselves to be suckered by the Democrat Party for political gain 
only to be forgotten when push comes to shove in the legislative arena. The Democrats lure their vote with promises of grandeur and free stuff and cute buzzwords like equity, only to turn around and serve their corporate donors. Then the cycle repeats the next time the Democrats need votes. The Dems project whatever they need to project to these groups in order to get them mad and voting for Democrats. Then they drop these non-white groups like a bad habit once they get elected. They forget about them. We heard stories of BLM going to, to Joe Biden after he was elected with their handout, and he, in essence, kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, eh, no. It's the Democrats attributing sets of negative stereotypes on people to serve their interests, not your average everyday American, no matter what race they are. Fifth, according to the thesis of intersectionality or anti-essentialism, no individual can be adequately identified by membership in a single group. An African-American person, for example, may also identify as a woman, a lesbian, a feminist, a Christian, and so on. I read this, and maybe this is my simple conservative brain thinking here, but to me this flies in the face of leftist ideology. They are all about collectivism and group identity and groupthink. So... If you, this is saying they, they can't be adequately identified by membership in a single group. Well, that, that, that's the whole essence of collectivism. You are a single group. To, to say that um, uh, someone can't be adequately, adequately identified uh, by membership in a single group when you're, when you're a leftist is, is acknowledging the inherent uh, worth and value of the individual of individual freedom and liberty of me being me and doing what I want to do. Uh, so again, you know, we're seeing the hypocrisy here that the group of collectivism and group identity and group think says that nobody can be adequately identified by membership into a single group. Well, in that context, it's wrong. And in this context, it's wrong because as far as I see it, we, can adequately be identified by a membership to a single group. That single group is as Americans. That's the only group that matters. To me, we are Americans. No, it's the consultants and marketing departments that are are the ones that have split us up and keep splitting us up into other factions and other buckets and uh, groups of people, whatever. My identity, my identity, so... This talking about identity here. My identity is as an American, plain and simple. No, I am other things. I'm a father, a husband, a coach, a man, but those aren't necessarily my identity. Those are attributes of me as an individual person. My identity lies in the fact that I am an American. We have gotten so wrapped up in me that we have forgotten that those things that make up me 
are really just our attributes, not our identity. Our identity is, is as Americans. Everything else is what makes us us. They're things that are attributable to me as me, as in, uh, you know, the unique individual I am. And those attributes, some of those might be the same as someone else, and they might not be. Now, the sixth tenant here, the, it's uh, called the voice of color, and the voice of color thesis. And it holds that people of color are uniquely qualified to speak on behalf of other members of their group or groups regarding the forms and effects of racism. Okay, so then thinking about this, and in the context of what critical race theory is, we've already established we're all people of color, but thinking about this in the context of critical race theorem theory, why is it there's a bunch of white liberals who are out there speaking up on behalf of people of color, on the of uh, speaking up for the the people of the black and Latino, and now it seems the Asian communities? I'm just asking a question here. If, if, if this is saying that the only people who are qualified to speak on behalf of other members of their same little group, whatever that group is, regarding the effects of forms and effects of racism, why do we have a bunch of white people running around telling blacks uh, about the racism they're facing? Just a question. Seems like if we go back to point four here, we have a case of, the guilty suburban white liberal co-opting this fake cause to ease their guilt. It's to help themselves sleep at night, to make them feel like they did something, that they helped someone out. Now they come to these marches and these protests and their soccer mom bands with their my kid is an honor roll student bumper stickers. They do whatever protest thing it is they're there to do. And then they head back to their suburban homes, all proud of themselves for doing absolutely nothing and leaving the place a total disaster like it's a, a, a freaking landfill. We've all seen those marches when they're done. It's just disgusting, all the trash left behind by people that are supposed to be the ones that are the, the green and the earth and all that crap. Uh, just, it's a question worth bearing. And then why is, are we... Why, why are people that are proponents of the critical race theory accepting of these white liberals who keep speaking out? I say speaking out of turn. It's your mediocres in the media. It's your, uh, your, your elitist politicians. They're the ones that are pushing this. Now, yeah, you have your dummies like Joy Reid out there pushing this as well. So under that guise, I, she would fit under here, right? But by and large, it's, uh, you know, the people like the Cuomos and the, the Stelters and your Nancy Pelosi's out there that are telling these communi communities of color, let's keep that in the context of, of what we're talking about here uh, with the critical race theory. It's, you know, people of color. They're the ones that are speaking out on their behalf. And from what I see, I, I watch plenty of YouTubers and, and others. And it's, uh, Candace Owens, a great one. That, she's like, who are these people to tell me that 
I'm I who are they to tell me that I am experiencing racism? They're nobody. They don't have that right. So just a question. I, I mean, again, the, the hypocrisy here is astounding for the adherence to critical race theory. Um, that says right there that basically stay in your lane when you're talking about it. Now, there's some good news. Uh, and the good news is that there are many people who are pushing back against this destructive ideology. States are putting laws on the books, outlawing it. Parents are organizing against it and taking on school boards and school administrators. In Loudoun County, Virginia, parents have formed a group that is taking on the school system there and attempting to push critical race theory out of their school curriculum. Now, of course, the school system there denies that there's a problem or that the critical race theory is even being taught. We have a quote here from their spokesman, Wade Bayard, and this is what he has to say. He says, our goal is to ensure equity based on this definition as outlined by the Virginia Department of Education. Education equity is achieved when we eliminate the predictability of student outcomes based on race, gender, zip code, ability, socioeconomic status, or languages spoken at home. Well, what do we see here? Well, we've got that word equity again. Well, let's think about this. How, how are you going to achieve that equity, Wade and Virginia Department of Education? By definition, equity is only achieved when you take from someone and give it to someone else. That's the only way you get equity. Equity is trying to achieve the same outcome for all. You're really trying to, to, to get that uh, uh, everybody to be the same on the back end instead of the front end where everybody has equal opportunity. Everybody has equality. That's the front end. That's the only way this works. You can't take from someone and give it to someone else and try and achieve equity because eventually that person that you took it from is only going to do to the level that's being given to the other person. So thinking about this, thinking about Wade here in the, the Loudoun County uh, School Board and their spokesperson in Virginia's Department of Education, well, what are they going to do? How are you going to achieve equity in this situation? Are they going to take points from Johnny's test scores and give them to Jamal? Are you going to lower the standards for achievement? As usual, there's no how we're going to do this. There's no explanation on achieving equity. It's just a bunch of vague fluff that makes for a good soundbite to the core constituency and to those that are gobbling up this garbage narrative. The truth is there is no way to achieve equity within educational achievement. Every kid goes into those schools with equal opportunity, it's up to them and to their parents to make sure they take advantage of that equal opportunity. And the other point here is why you cannot achieve equity within educational achievement is because every kid has their own development path and their own abilities. We've shoehorned these kids into these schools within their own groups with the expectation that they're all the same. And they're not. These schools are that, that collectivist leftist, um, you know, Borg, if you're a Star Trek fan, you know what the Borg is. It's 
everybody is the same. Everybody's not the same. Everybody, every kid has their own development path. They have their own abilities. They have their own rate at which they grasp concepts. Now, the way these gaps can start to be closed, these gaps in achievement can start to be closed is by fixing the family first, getting parents involved, parents getting engaged, getting the fathers in the home and engaged in their child's life. That's where it starts. Is it a panacea? Is it a, a guarantee of outcomes? No, but it gives these kids a great head start. The gaps start to close when these kids have a stable environment in which they are supported, loved, and then they become able to thrive. This is how we close the gaps in our education system. Rethinking the model of schooling is how these gaps close. Not all kids develop at the same rate. Like I said, no, not all kids grasp concepts at the same rate. What we, yet we continue to keep them together all in this nice, nice neat little bucket by age and, and grade level and, and whatever else. We're stunting the growth of all the students. The students who are ready to be academically challenged on a higher level than what their grade says are held back because the teachers have to teach to the common denominator. And, and those that are, are you know, developing at a little, a little slower rate you know, feel lost and, and hopeless and maybe helpless because they see their peers that are, are outpacing them. Changing the way we school our kids from a public education standpoint helps close that achievement gap. And parents are fed up. Now, I have a quick story here about a, our local struggle and one that I'm heavily involved in. So um, I, I'm getting deep into this. So I'm going, going to try and, and keep, you know, keep a, a couple shows a week, keep writing for my website. Um, hopefully I can keep consistent with that. But I think as we get rolling here, um, we're going to have some, I'm going to have some tough choices to make. But I'm going to try and keep it going for you. I, I love the feedback and I, I love, you know, my audience. So I'm going to try my best to keep it going. But I want to give you a story about what we're doing here locally in my town. So now our state of uh, state department of education, um, it's the department of public instruction or DPI. So if you hear me later on here in the story, say DPI, it's the department of instruction, uh, department of public instruction. Uh, it, it came down on our school district saying it had allowed a racially hostile environment. Unfortunately, our state DPI has been bitten by the woke bug, and that's thanks to our governor who was, uh, before he was governor, spent 10 years wrecking our school system before he got in the governor's, governor's mansion and started wrecking our state. Now, our town is in no way, shape, or form a racist town. Uh, we actually moved back here. We lived in this town for a while, uh, took some jobs elsewhere and were away for a little bit. And we actually came back here. So I know this town and we spent a lot of time here, almost half my life now in this town. Oh, close. Um, in this town, we know in no way, shape or form, is it a racist town? What this department of instruction doesn't understand is these kids learn it from somewhere. They learn whatever the words are, whatever, uh, you know, they're seeing or hearing, they learn it from somewhere. Could it be the parents? Sure. As I've said before, there are racist people everywhere. 
more likely, though, is it stems from the rap music kids listen to. What the kids hear are just the lyrics. They don't understand the history of the words being used. They don't understand the connotations behind those words being used. They don't understand what those words mean. And it's all because our failing education system has saw to it that they don't understand that. So there's, there were some incidents where some racial slurs were, were written on walls or in wood chips. Actually, one was in wood chips, wood chips on a playground. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, and there's been some other things, but all of a sudden our town's racist. So our school district, because of this, had to put together an improvement plan to satisfy the Department of Public Instruction overlords. And it were a couple of tidbits that I think will make any rational person cringe. I think it'll make you cringe. It made me cringe when I read them. So this plan that our school district put together calls for kindergartners through fifth graders to have daily community circles aimed at creating conversations around race and equity. They don't understand that. They're, they're, they're kindergarten to fifth grade, for crying out loud. And then you have the sixth through twelfth graders who will have lessons on social justice and equity. So this, what does this sound like? It's, it sounds like a whole lot of critical race theory being shoved down our kids' throats here. And uh, really, it's, it's going to cause more problems than it's worth. I, and really, I think, you know, from what I've heard and what I've gathered getting involved, it's, it's probably a better description of this is there's more critical race theory being shoved down our kids' throats in this town. Now, what purpose does any of this, do these solutions as they're being presented, what purpose do they serve other than to, do, in, other to, in, other than to indoctrinate our kids? Other than to create more rage robots? They don't understand any of it now. They don't understand, especially at the kindergarten through fifth grade level. They don't understand what they're being taught, what any of this is. But hey, since they don't understand it, let's just teach them to hate how they were created. Let's just create more rage robots. We need more minions out there. The, the, you know, the Antifa types out there are getting on the, you know, some of them are getting on the, uh, the old age of the spectrum here. Let's create some more. We need we need to keep pumping the system full. So let's start indoctrinating the small town schools. Now, as I said, we are taking action here locally. We're organizing. We're making people aware of what is really going on in our schools. Uh, but to make matters worse here and not helping our cause right now and getting the word out is that our school board has refused to meet in person. They've refused to do their job in hearing the concerns of the community. They are our elected officials that we put in place to oversee our schools. And they are not allowing uh, us as concerned individuals, concerned citizens to come before them in person. We can email, we can do you know those things, but we're not able to come before them in person and, uh, and uh, have them hear our grievances. It's a lot harder to ignore someone and their concerns when they're standing in front of you versus them just sending you an email. There's a lot of emails, I think, that are getting ignored here. They were supposed to start back with the in-person meetings after the new board members were sworn in uh, after the April election. But 
They held an emergency session a few days before that first meeting after the new members were seated, and they changed course, opting to remain with virtual meetings. Now, what we suspect is they caught wind of the parental storm that was coming at that meeting. Uh, by this time, we had that, uh, uh, that improvement plan, so to speak, that our, our schools uh, our, and school board had sent to the Department of Public Instruction within our state. We weren't happy about it. I think they caught wind of that and said, we, we're going to have virtual meetings again. We don't want to hear it. Now, we are fighting back, though, and we have actions that we are taking and plans that we are organizing to take our school board and community back. Now, as the plans unfold, I'll share more. Uh, we're trying to keep them a bit under wraps for the time being for obvious reasons. We have, like every town, um, counter forces here. We want to keep things uh, as tight as we can as, as far as what we're doing, but just know we're, we're organizing a uh, against this and working to take our community back. And before I kind of move topics here, I've got one more bit of advice here as we think about our kids and in, in, uh, being in schools. So one, of the, the one bit of advice I picked up along the way here, and it's an important thing to remember, your kids have rights. Our kids have rights. Make sure that your children, if they are in public school, and they happen to be hauled to the principal's office for anything, uh, they're getting hauled down there for their because they don't know what microaggressions are and stuff like that. There's these kind of stories coming out of, out of my little town. Uh, kids have been called to the principal's office to help them under, or to see if, if they understand what this is. They gave them a survey, and it's we've got a lot of things that we're trying to take care of here, but if they're hauled to the principal's office for anything, make sure they understand the first thing they need to do, the first thing they need to ask for is they need to call you. So you can go and act as their lawyer. Tell them not to say anything until you can get to them. It doesn't matter if it's a warranted trip to the principal's office or not. You are their parent. You are their guardian, their authority, and you need to be present for anything that goes on there for anything that's said to that principal or that teacher or whoever. Your kids have rights. Our kids have rights. They need to call you first before and stay silent until you can get there. Or if it's a telecom, you know, it puts you on speakerphone, whatever. There's too much. I think we've seen too much of these educators who have been bullying kids who have the wrong ideology. Now, kind of moving to the last segment, I have a few stories of, about the states that are fighting back against critical race theory that I'm going to get to those in my next show. I want to get to this update I have from a gathering of, of my county conservatives that I went to on Monday night. I want to get to it before it had totally, you know, everything that had happened totally leaves my brain. So I want to get to that. I'll, I'll talk about the, uh, what the states are doing at, at the legislative level, level in uh, my next show. So we do an event called Pints and Politics once a month where we gather at a local establishment. We get uh, some number of elected officials to come and speak, depending on who's available and if it fits into their schedule. And they come and speak to what's going on with the hot topics of the day. What are the key legislation, uh, legislative topics they're working on? What are our key legislative topics? And what, are, what, you know, what questions do we have of them? 
So on Monday, we had our state senator, our state assembly rep, as well as a few other state assembly men and senators that aren't in our particular district uh, represented and, and there to talk to us. And friends, I want to say it's important to remember that government will not solve our problems. What I saw Monday night, I would say, is a very anti-conservative uh, viewpoint and very anti-conservative requests coming from uh, a few of the constituents. There were things like asking our elected officials, what are you going to do about this? Or why aren't you doing that? Now, our elected officials were gracious at first. Hey, these people were ultra aggressive with them. Uh, you could tell after a while that the uh, elected officials were going into shutdown mode. You could tell by the body language, the facial expressions, uh, the exasperated tone in the voice. Uh, you could tell they weren't hearing it anymore because these people kept pounding and saying the same thing and asking them, what are they going to do? And I think going into shutdown mode, it's only a natural reaction for anybody. Anybody that happens that's getting bombarded and beat over the head, eventually you just stop listening. You you stop caring. These people are, there's no, nothing you can do to, to satisfy them. So you just kind of throw your hands up. You sit there silent and, and call it a day almost. You know, the hot button issues here with these people were, were the masks and election integrity. And to to boot, they weren't really listening because our legislature here in Wisconsin is ready to send a laundry list of election reforms to our buffoon governor who will just veto them. But they're still going to send them anyway. They've got them done, ready to go. They're, we know they're going to get vetoed. We know this. But the point is we have them done when we take the governor's house back that legislation's ready to go. We send it off and get it signed, you know, right away. Uh, the, you know, so th there's uh, a strategy element of it here. Uh, they're they're working on it. They're doing something, right? They're doing what we're asking them to do. We said strengthen our elections, close the loopholes. They're working on that. They've got reform bills that will be heading to our governor for the veto pen. But anyway, also on this uh, topic of elect, uh, the election reform, our, our elected officials even outlined the audit process that they authorized to get started that is going to be looking at every instance of reported election misdeeds that went on. They have 13,000 tips that they are putting this team, an audit team together to look at every single one of these logged tips. Now, this certain set of people still pressed on about doing more and what are they, our officials, going to do that are, uh, to, to ensure our votes count. Now, I happen to be sitting next to our county elections clerk who gave these people a tangible list of things they, they themselves could do to ensure election integrity. Things like be a poll worker or a poll watcher. Get involved was her message. Then these people hounded the, the elected officials about the masks, even though the statewide mandate was finally overturned in March. They even asked the elected officials why they hadn't put a law in place outlawing mask mandates by businesses. And this whole request was preceded by whining about this store or that store enforcing mask requirements. And there was even, 
I hesitate to call it a sob story. It's it's a very uh, concerning story, very legitimate story about this woman. But it even inclu- included this woman uh, who went to a local grocery store. She had her cart full, and they refused to check out her groceries because she didn't have a mask on. Now, I sympathize with this woman because she did go into the story about why she absolutely can't wear a mask. She has some PTSD issues from events that had happened to her in the past. I totally understand. You can't wear a mask because of this, because it triggers some sort of anxietal response in you. And the store didn't make an exception. That is extremely frustrating. And dare I say, it's wrong. There are people that, for very, very legit reasons, can't wear a mask no matter how much you're mandating it. I don't care as a business, you know, or not. It's your right, but, you know, you, I, I think to, to make not make an exception in, in a case like that is, you know, it's horrible. Now, however, there's another part to this story. And that, that other part to this story is that this store she was at has a well-known reputation for being mask Karenish. And then she still went there anyway. She, she knew the rules. She knew how strictly they enforced the rules, their rules, but still shopped there anyway. That piece is on you. You knew that they didn't make exceptions. I walked into a store that uh, a few weeks ago, and I go in and I test it out. Uh, this was, and I, so I walked in there, no face diaper, and I had someone chasing me down. Sir, sir, you you got to put a mask on. If you can't wear a mask, you got to go back outside. I, luckily, I had one with me. I just I, what I always joke, I said I put my chin strap on. So I put it on. I wanted to be in the store and see what they had, but I, would I, you know, will I go back there? And probably not, and you know, especially not until they, they drop the total mask, you know, enforcement thing that they were, you know, sent. I mean, good lord. Anyway, you you go in there, you know, you knew the reputation of this store. You knew they had a strict enforcement policy. You went there anyway. That's kind of on you. I feel. Your pain, I understand the PTSD thing, but if you knew they didn't make exceptions, then why did you go there? To look for the government, to look for elected officials to put a law in place so you can go and shop somewhere you want, that's not the answer. You don't want government solving the problem. Shop somewhere else. And because they had this crappy policy, tell your friends and family to shop somewhere else too. Blast it out on your social media. Money talks to these businesses, and they will get the hint once their money train has left the station. Now, I had had enough of this with this table by this point. Uh, you know, I, I spoke out. I, uh, you know, I wanted to get some questions into my elected officials. I couldn't because these people were dominating with, with their ridiculousness, asking the government, what are you going to do for me? do this, do that. Uh, you know, I told them this. I said, don't wear the damn mask then. If you're if you're going into a store, don't wear it if they have it on there. And if you know the store there has a strict policy of enforcement, just don't go there, period. It's, it's simple. You have a choice. If you want to shop that store, then you will have to follow their rules, plain and simple. If that means you throw the face diaper on, 
throw it on. There's choices I've made based on how strictly enforced the masking was. I have one store that I would go to because I needed stuff from there. And I wanted to shop there. And they're a good store that supports conservative causes. So I didn't have a problem. Like I said, I put my chin strap on. I I didn't. I had it on my face. And nobody said a word after. So test these things out. It's your choice. Don't look for the government to solve your problem. Don't go looking for government for your solutions, I said to them. They aren't there. I pointed to our elected officials. I said, they're not going to solve your problems. The solutions to the problems lie within us. We are the leaders. Our officials are doing all they can to tighten things up with the elections. They battled against the mass thing. Uh, you, you know, I think they could have done more. Uh, they could have battled harder. That's my opinion of my elected officials. And I've said that. I, I emailed them and I called them and I told them that. I said, you need to battle harder on this one instead of leaving it up to the courts. They, you know, left it up to the courts anyway, but at least I made my voice heard. I said, they are not going to solve every problem, nor do we want them to. It's up to us to get involved with our local government. Now, I was actually thanked afterwards for speaking up in this regard by some of the reps that I had had a chance to speak with after the after the kind of that last question and answer session with them. You know that they they have a tough job, and it was it was getting ridiculous. So I you know like I said we got to speak up. We got to call ourselves out when we're just being ridiculous in that manner, looking for the government to provide a solution when the solution is with us. Friends, this is our government, our government, the people's government. We need to act like it. I have a little anecdote here that I have told my kids before, and I've also told my staff at work, especially when I get in, take over a new team or something. And my little anecdote goes like this. My expectation is that you work out your issues amongst yourselves. It's also my recommendation. Because I can guarantee that if I have to get involved, you will not like the outcome. This same principle applies to our government. The choice is to either get involved and lead the change ourselves, and that can be something uh, like having, and it should be something, like having a tangible plan to present to our elected officials on what we want them to do, what action we want them to take. If we have any recommendations to make legislative, uh, a, leg um, a bill better, we should do that. We have to have a tangible plan to present to them. And the other piece of this is it should be us uh, on us to be involved and active locally. Because if we leave it up to elected officials to solve our problems for us, if we demand they solve our problems for us, we, will, we all know how that will go. We need to get out of this mindset that the government is the solution to our problems that our elected officials are our problem solvers. They are not. We either solve the problem ourselves or, and, you know, we solve the problem ourselves and have a, a, an outcome that uh, we like or we can at least live with if we have to compromise with others. But it, we solve it ourselves and we have at least a workable outcome that we can live by. or we let daddy government do it, and we hate the outcome.
solve the problem yourself, or if I have to get involved, you're going to hate the, sol uh, the solution. <laughs> That's the principle. Government is rarely the solution to our problems, but they most certainly are always the cause of our problems. As far as I see it, if we aren't willing to take up some of the, you know, some small part of fighting the battle of governing ourselves, if we're not willing to take that small part up and we're relying on government solutions without speaking up, without taking action, then we forfeit our right to complain. That's our own fault. This goes back to accountability. I'm accountable. If I didn't speak up, I'm accountable then. That's my fault for what happened. It, you know, I could speak up and it, it still doesn't go my way. Fine, but at least I spoke up and now I can say I spoke up and you did the opposite thing. And uh, and what I told you was going to happen ended up happening the way you did it instead of doing it the way I had maybe recommended. Friends, it's important that we have a tangible plan for our reps when we are calling and requesting that they do something or we are supporting something they are doing. We can't just call and scream at them about all that's going wrong and make demands that they do this or that or fix this or that. They eventually will tune us out. It's good to call and reinforce the things they are doing good or doing right too. The, the majority of calls they receive are the bad ones. It's people screaming at them. It's good to call and uh, call them up and actually thank them for doing a good job and, and thanking them for supporting a bill that you supported. That'll make you stand out. And it will help you get their ear the next time for the really important issues you face. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. You'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with the knowledge to fight against the prevailing narratives of the day. Also on my site is a link to my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. The grand opening sale is going on for another week, 15% off of everything in the store. And also with that in the, uh, the store, Living with Liberty Outfitters, don't forget to check out the limited edition Memorial Day collection. If I could ask one thing, please, uh, please you do not use the discount code on the Memorial Day items. All the proceeds from that collection will be donated to the A Soldier's Child Foundation. Also, I'd be so grateful if you subscribe to my show and left a positive review should your listening platform allow. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.